This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. I keep thinking of these lines from T.S. Eliot's poem, The Hollow Men. They were written in 1925, 95 years ago, but they seem so relevant just now. I don't think the world is going to end. The earth is a lot more robust than we give her credit for. But there has been a danger of the world as we know it ending. That has been more likely over the past few weeks than at any time I can remember. And there has been a lot of whimpering going on. I don't want to be dismissive or disrespectful of people who are genuinely scared by COVID-19 or who have lost friends and relatives. But I do think that the reaction compared to the actual threat for most people has been way out of proportion. And I think this is completely due to the overreaction, the hysteria in the mainstream media. The release of one of the documents from the SAGE group, the group of scientists who've been advising the government during this crisis, suggests that this overreaction and hysteria that has been worked up in the press could actually be a deliberate government-directed strategy. It often seems to be the most well-educated of my friends who are freaking out about this disease, and I suspect it's because they are the ones who read The Guardian or listen to Radio 4, and it seeps into the social media. I don't go on Facebook anymore because of all the hysteria and panic on there. There's even a new COVID-19 emoji, and I'm not even going to say anything about that. However, a few days ago, I was on Facebook for a webinar, and a group message popped up for one of the climbing groups I belong to. People were talking about the restrictions being eased, and they were saying they were nervous about going back to the climbing centres after the lockdown was lifted in case they got the infection. They were saying they didn't even want to do any outdoor climbing because the sites would be so full of people and they might catch the infection. These are people who usually enjoy a high-risk sport where occasional injuries are par for the course. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful of them. This is hysteria that's been whipped up in the media. It's a completely manufactured panic and it's so sad that people are just lapping it up like this. Of course, there should be a certain level of concern, even alarm about a new disease. But instead of acting with clear heads, the government and its mainstream media minions have turned a drama into an enormous crisis, which is going to have long lasting repercussions. Already, a big travel firm in Scotland has gone bust with the loss of around 2,500 jobs. The Tarbot Hotel, where I often used to go for coffee and cake after a hill walk, will be closing or changing hands, as will many other Highland hotels. I just hope that these lovely local enterprises don't all become faceless international chains. There's been no real leadership from the government. They're like puppets on the podium, reading the words of speechwriters and advisers. Rather than taking sensible measures from the start, like testing the population... They've just lurched from one extreme to another, acting on the instructions of this very secretive group, the SAGE group, or the Scientific Advisory Group on Emergencies, whose members' names were only released earlier this month. There are still at least two members of the SAGE group who chose to remain anonymous. Dominic Cummings, the Prime Minister's chief aide, was not an official SAGE member, but he did sit in on the meetings. So the fact that it now emerges that he flouted the lockdown rules by travelling 260 miles to stay at his parents' home is more than just hypocrisy. The Prime Minister is saying that this was an essential trip because Cummings and his wife were sick and they needed to take their son to his parents' home to be cared for. 
But how many people will have been in similar positions but had to stick it out because of the lockdown rules? How many people will have been unable to pay a last visit to an elderly relative or to attend the funeral of a loved one because of the lockdown rules? Dominic Cummings and Professor Neil Ferguson both sat on the SAGE committee meetings, which means that both of them played critical roles in influencing the lockdown measures and both of them flouted those lockdown rules. Even Boris Johnson, when he became ill, he was taken to Chequers, 42 miles away from 10 Downing Street. And they are only the ones that we know about. As I say, this is not just about hypocrisy. It suggests that these unprecedented rules are not really about keeping people safe. But what they are really about is keeping us all in control while the government implements sweeping emergency powers and decimates our civil rights. I don't care in the slightest whether Dominic Cummings resigns. If he resigns, someone even worse will take his place. What I want is the return of my civil rights. I want that emergency coronavirus bill to be repealed. COVID-19 is no longer an emergency and in the unlikely event that it flares up again, the Health Protection Act 1984 will provide the measures that we need to deal with it. That's what it's there for. I don't think there's any excuse for government to be run by secret committees, financed by the taxpayers, but with minutes that we are not even allowed to see. Out of 120 documents detailing the SAGE committee meetings, only 30 have been disclosed. One of those 30 SAGE documents was handed to the UK column, an independent TV channel, last week, and I'll put the details in the show notes. If this is an example of what is allowed to be released, I shudder to think what the documents that have not been released are saying. The paper was prepared by SAGE's Behavioural Science Subgroup for discussion at SAGE number 18 on the 23rd of March, the day that lockdown was announced. The document was entitled Options for Increasing Adherence to Social Distancing Measures. It starts by saying, Question addressed, what are the options for increasing adherence to the social distancing measures? It then outlines nine broad ways of achieving behaviour change. Education, persuasion, incentivism, coercion, enablement, training, restriction, environmental restructuring and modelling. It says that the group is focusing on the most relevant of these. The paragraph on persuasion says, Perceived threat. A substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. It could be that they are reassured by the low death rate in their demographic group, although levels of concern may be rising. Having a good understanding of the risk has been found to be positively associated with adoption of COVID-19 social distancing measures in Hong Kong. The perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard-hitting emotional messaging. And I think the BBC has certainly taken that one up. The paragraph on coercion says... Social disapproval from one's community can play an important role in preventing antisocial behaviour or discouraging failure to enact pro-social behaviour. However, this needs to be carefully managed to avoid victimisation, scapegoating and misdirected criticism. It needs to be accompanied by clear messaging and promotion of strong collective identity. 
Consideration should be given to use of social disapproval, but with a strong caveat around unwanted negative consequences. I wonder if the the weekly NHS applause is part of the promotion of strong collective identity. It's really obvious that we are being herded here. Discouraging failure to enact pro-social behaviour. It sounds like something out of communist China. They're clearly stopping short of advocating outright victimisation, which could lead to mob violence and the kind of things that happened in 1930s Germany. But they are advocating the use of social disapproval, which is a method that is always used by tyrannical governments, from Nazi Germany to communist Russia and in communist China during the Cultural Revolution. And it's used now by the Chinese communist government in the form of social credit scores. Every tyrannical government I can think of actively weaponises social disapproval. It's one of the ways that tyranny can get itself embedded into a society. The appendix of the SAGE document presents the APEES evaluation grid. APEES is an acronym that stands for Acceptability, Practicability, Effectiveness, Affordability, Spillover Effects and Equity. A list of options is presented. Option 2 says Use media to increase sense of personal threat. This has clearly worked where most people are concerned. But it does also say that Spillover effects could be negative, and that's certainly the case with myself. Right from the early days of this pandemic, I was so turned off by the sensationalist reporting that I tried to avoid all mainstream news about it. I sensed that it was being overplayed, and as a result, I may have initially underplayed the seriousness of the disease. I think there were many others like myself who have become cynical about the mainstream media and were completely repelled by the coverage. The SAGE document spells it out. Use media to increase the sense of personal threat. This is how people are being manipulated in the UK. And it's no conspiracy theory. It's right there on the paper in black and white. Option three says, use media to increase sense of responsibility to others. There's nothing wrong with having a sense of responsibility to others, of course, but in a manipulative context, it's more about making people feel guilty if they dare object to their freedoms being restricted through measures which are unprecedented in a so-called free democratic society. And if they do dare to stand up for their rights and freedoms, they could be accused of selfishly endangering the life of an elderly or vulnerable person. Option four says... Use media to promote positive messaging around actions. And number five says, tailor messaging. There was some expansion on this point in a paper which was not included in the document that the UK column presented, but it was released just a few days ago by the behavioural science team at King's College London. And it seems to have been the foundation to the SAGE document. I'll put the link to this in the show notes. This paper says, Some people will be more persuaded by appeals to adhere to government instructions, some by duty to the community, and some to personal risk. Messaging needs to take account of the different motivational levers. Option 6 says, Use and promote social approval for desired behaviours. That is, behaviours desired by the government, of course. 
Because this really is an exercise in governmental control. And this is the way they manipulate that social contract concept that I've spoken about in earlier episodes. Option seven says, consider enacting legislation to compel required behaviours. Option eight says, consider use of social disapproval for failure to comply. And that has certainly been put into place. It could be said that this kind of social manipulation is important in order to protect society from a dangerous pandemic. But on the other hand, the fact that the science got it so wrong shows the potential dangers. I'm referring here to the Imperial College paper that, although it was a preprint and it wasn't peer-reviewed, had such an enormous impact on events in the UK and in the United States. Neil Ferguson, who led that research, just eight days later reduced the projected number of deaths from COVID-19 from 500,000 to 20,000, which is 1 25th of his original model. But by then, the lockdown had been imposed. It's clear that these behavioural measures have had a very strong, and I would say disproportionate, impact on society. The disease has so far been associated with a death rate of 0.05% of the population in the UK, the main proportion of those being elderly people or people with compromised immune systems. And its spread has been falling significantly recently. And yet many people of above average fitness and above average intelligence are so nervous about catching this virus that they are hesitant about resuming their favourite leisure pursuits once the lockdown is lifted. One of my friends said they thought this whole episode seemed to have been a big experiment on society to see how people might react. If that is the case, I think the reaction has been very concerning. Based on all this scientific advice from the SAGE committee, most of which has been withheld from the public, instead of focusing our protection efforts on the, on the people who are most at risk, i.e. the very elderly in care homes, we've had a completely disproportionate mass hysteria which brought the whole country to a standstill and which I personally doubt has saved any lives. In fact, it may actually have cost lives because there have been people with very serious health conditions like cancer and heart disease who have been too scared to, to go to hospital. I think we need to look more closely at this behavioural research team and the impact that they have in go on government. I'm not in the business of inciting aggression on people. Most of the scientists involved in the SAGE committee are simply trying to do their job as best they can, and we have no way of knowing what their real motivations might be. We also have to remember that the 50 or so members of the SAGE group that were mentioned by the government are the ones that agreed to have their names revealed. At least two members refused to disclose their names, so we don't know who those people are. There are two scientists in the SAGE group who are likely to, to have been part of the behavioural science subgroup and who co-authored the recently released research document. And they are Professor M. Brooke Rogers, OBE, who is a Professor of Behavioural Science and Security and Deputy Head of the Department of War Studies at King's College London. She's a social psychologist focusing on perceptions of and responses to risk and threat and risk communication. And the other one is Dr. J James Rubin, or G. James Rubin, not to be confused with the former US Assistant Secretary of State. He's reader in the psychology of emerging health risks at King's College London. He specialises in understanding how people perceive potential health risks and how those perceptions affect their behaviour and well-being. 
Both Rogers and Rubin are members of the investigatory team of the NIHR Health Protection Research Unit in Emergency Preparedness and Response at King's College London. Embrook Rogers was previously Senior Lecturer in Risk and Terror and her research subject areas are described as conflict and security. Her King's College biography says that her research projects cover preparing for and responding to terrorism, preparing for and responding to disasters and extreme events, protecting crowded places, aviation security, critical national infrastructure resilience, community resilience, communicating with vulnerable populations and violent radicalisation. I don't want to be too personal about this, but I think it is very significant that the kind of strategies that are used for modelling reactions to wartime and terrorist threats are also being used for modelling reactions to this current disease pandemic. This is something which is clearly affecting all of us. What all of these strategies have in common is that they are about public control. These are all considered terror events where the fear response is being accelerated in order to manipulate the public will. This is the Hegelian dialectic in action. Problem, reaction, solution. This is how it's being carried out. And this is why the SAGE document number 18 placed a lot of importance on the perceived threat, almost as if the virus is like a terrorist threat. This is a deliberate acceleration of terror. Here's a reminder of what the SAGE document says. Perceived threat. A substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. It could be that they are reassured by the low death rate in their demographic group, although levels of concern may be rising. The perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard-hitting emotional messaging. And that is a message that was delivered to the SAGE group on the 23rd of March, the day that lockdown was announced. As I've said, it could be argued that this kind of alarmism, which was dutifully spread through the main, mainstream media, was necessary in order to protect lives. But on the other hand, the emergency coronavirus bill, which was rushed through Parliament without scrutiny or effective opposition, just a few days after the 18th SAGE meeting, puts in place what one campaigning group describes as the most draconian powers in peacetime Britain. Health Secretary Matt Hancock said that the Act gives the government the powers it needs to protect lives. Now that the threat from COVID-19 is receding, I wonder how long it will be before the sweeping powers taken by the Act are reversed. I've spoken before about the legal challenge brought against the government's lockdown by the businessman Simon Dolan. The case has now been filed and case papers have been presented. They are available on the Crowd Justice website. I'll put the link in the show notes. Quoting from the website, The aim of the proceedings is to lift the ruinous lockdown, restore the civil liberties taken away from the public and allow schools, healthcare services and the economy to restart. The documents quote the, the Prague Municipal Court saying that Even in times of crisis, it is necessary to protect not only health, lives and the economy, but also a democratic, constitutional and legal state. Later on, the case documents say 
The claimant contends that it was irrational and disproportionate to impose a lockdown on the entire country for a virus that was known to pose little risk of mortality or serious illness to the healthy working population, while posing much greater risks to those with pre-existing health conditions and particularly those over 70 years old. Referring to the minutes of the meetings of the SAGE group, the document states... These regulations impose the most far-reaching restrictions that have ever been imposed on every individual resident in England. And yet, the Secretary of State has refused to disclose them or to publish any more than 30 of the 120 papers on which the committee relies. There's another aspect of all this which I think is extremely concerning. And again... I'm shocked that so many people in the UK have just allowed this to happen due to the fear that has been whipped up in the national press. The government has effectively been taking its orders from a secretive group of scientists. We don't even know exactly who all these people are and the vast proportion of the minutes of the secretive meetings they've held, which have had such an enormous impact on all of our lives, have been withheld from the public. So, in effect, the democratic parliamentary process has simply been swept aside on the pretext of wildly flawed modelling presented by a SAGE member, Professor Neil Ferguson. Independent journalists like James Corbett have been warning of the advent of the technocratic state for years, and here it is in action. I find this very scary. Just as government can be influenced by lobbying, Scientific research can be influenced by financial interests, especially if the research findings are withheld from public scrutiny. Maybe that's why we have this bizarre censorship on the mainstream media and on social media of scientific research that runs contrary to the establishment narrative or to World Health Organization guidelines. The World Health Organization is itself subject to financial influence. Most of its income comes from private sources, with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation being the biggest funder after Donald Trump withdrew US funding. The second biggest funder of the World Health Organization is Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, formerly the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunisation. This organization was co-founded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And the third largest funder of the World Health Organization is the United Kingdom. So many scientists have presented alternative insights from the establishment line on the spread of COVID-19 that it would take too much time to list them all. But I would recommend watching the Perspectives on the Pandemic series by the Journeyman Pictures, the Unheard YouTube channel and the 12 experts questioning the coronavirus panic posts in the Off Guardian. There's also eight more experts questioning the coronavirus panic and 10 more experts criticising the coronavirus panic, also in the Off Guardian. And the links to all of these are in the show notes. There were two excellent interviews with Professor Knut Witowski in the Perspectives on the Pandemic series, but both of these were deleted by YouTube last week. I've managed to find an alternative link to one of these interviews, and I've added it to the show notes. You really never know when these YouTube videos are going to be deleted, But the rule of thumb seems to be that for videos where views are expressed that are contrary to World Health Organization or Bill and Melinda Gates funded guidelines, they are not deleted until they get more than a certain number of views. They seem to be trying to avoid a critical mass of acceptance for these views, at least that's my impression. 
One thing you could never say about this, this pandemic is that the science has settled. Science has never settled. If it was, it would not be science. Science is about research and gaining knowledge. It's not about keeping knowledge hidden. And it should not be dictating our lives. I felt very nervous when Boris Johnson was hospitalised shortly after the lockdown started. I feel sympathy for anyone who gets seriously ill with this disease, but the country was heading very rapidly away from being a free country, with the then recently imposed lockdown and increased police powers just having been implemented under the emergency coronavirus bill. Most people were just too panicked by the actual disease to notice or to care. I think, at least I hope, that things are starting to relax a little now. Maybe relax is too strong a word. But I have noticed that there are a lot more cars on the road again. And I've seen a few groups of people out and about. As I've said before, I have been complying with the lockdown restrictions. However, recently, as the number of cases have fallen significantly, the hospitals are decidedly underwhelmed. And yet the lockdown has been extended in Scotland for a further three weeks. I'm now being a lot less strict about my compliance. The percentage of people in Scotland who have died with coronavirus, that means they may have had it and it might have been, but wasn't necessarily the cause of death, is currently about 0.06% of the the population. I was out with a friend a few days ago. We both live on our, our own and we were both willing to take the risk of infecting each other if we were asymptomatic carriers by sharing a car. On the way, we passed a large group of people out in the street. It's funny that a large group of people is such an unusual sight these days. We thought they must be protesting or something. I stopped the car and ran out to take a photo. And then I ran up to them, not too close, to ask what was going on. They told me it was a funeral. It must have been for a very popular person, as there were hundreds of people out on the street with no apparent social distancing. I smiled and thanked them. I didn't want them to think that I was going to inform on them. I think the police would have been aware in any case, as it's an area known for police speed traps and patrols. I think if the police had tried to arrest such a large crowd at a funeral, there probably would have been a riot. So me and my friend drove up to the Campsies, which are hills about 15 miles away, and we did a short hill walk. It was a lovely sunny day, and although we passed only one group of three and one couple on the hill, when we got back down, the car park was full. The official car park had actually been closed off by the police. But one of the barriers had been taken down and it was full of cars. We'd parked in a small lay-by further up the hill. When we arrived, there were about three other cars in the lay-by. But when we got down from the hill, there were cars everywhere. And a group of about 15 people were having a barbecue. They were definitely not social distancing. Again, I did not disapprove and I wouldn't dream of informing on them. Quite the opposite. I was glad that they were there, that some people at last are showing some backbone and refusing to comply with these undemocratic and unlawful regulations. Because the longer that we roll over and submit to this craziness, the closer we will get to a global police state controlled by the billionaires of this world and from which there would be no escape. If you've enjoyed listening to my podcast, please subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. If you'd like to make a comment, download a transcript or view the show notes, go to imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening.